Once more, welcome to you. Welcome to all of you in this house this morning. Welcome to those of you in the overflow, those at the Franklin campus. God bless you. All of those within the sound of my voice. My name is Tim Harris, pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church, and we are delighted, simply delighted that you're worshiping with us uh, th- this morning. First, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 8, one verse, and then we're going to go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 for the word of God this morning. I love that last verse we just sang in the hymn, Revive Us Again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. I love that. I love that. And that is my prayer for our church. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 8. In a sermon series entitled, Me, Myself, and God. This is the first message series for 2010. 2010 is a, is, is a new year. It's an amazing, just amazing numbers. It's hard to wrap my brain around the fact that that is what year it is. And, and that I am a 45-year-old man in midlife now. And my life is, is half gone. It, it's, a, it's amazing. It's depressing. It's also thrilling to me. Uh, at times, I, I look at my life and, and I have regrets. I wish I'd made different choices when, when I was younger. I, I, I wish every single day that I, I could be a better man, that I could be the man that God has created me to be. But, but, but I'm telling you, one thing I've learned, and it's the same thing that Paul has learned, uh, life moves forward. It, it moves only in one direction, and that direction is, is forward. You don't get to go back. You don't get any do-overs. There's no rewind, no fast-forward, no pause button. It simply moves forward, and we have to move forward. And in our Christian lives especially, understand that the life of the Spirit is forward-moving. It's, it's always moving. And Proverbs 14, verse 8, has a word of wisdom about the way our lives move. Proverbs 14, verse 8. Read these words with me from the screen. The prudent, stop right there. What's prudent mean? Wise, yeah, prudent sounds like something you would eat for breakfast or maybe something you wouldn't want to be. The prudent, the wise person, wise people. The prudent understand where they are going, but fools deceive themselves. The wise understand where they are going. Now, that verse assumes several things. It understands something about wisdom, that there are people who are wise. Some are wiser than others. The verse talks about the wise and the fools. So there is that obvious fundamental principle of life. There are people who are wiser than others. But those who are wise, they understand where their life is going. They understand the path of their lives, the Hebrew says. They understand where they are are going. Again, the assumption there is that there are wise people and they are on the move. Their lives are moving in a direction. They're going somewhere. And the ones who are wise understand where they are going. So I guess the verse raises all kinds of questions for us this morning. First off, you got to wonder, am I wise? Am I one of those people that Scripture would categorize as, as a wise person? I guess the other question that we begin to ask is, how do I know where my life is going Honestly, one of the reasons we tend to look back is because hindsight is twenty twenty. I can see my life behind me. I can see where I've been, and I can see what I've done and what I've said. I can see the relationships in the past. I can see all of that clearly, seeing where I'm going. This is the one thing I can't see. I can't see the future. I can't see tomorrow. I don't even know what I'm having for lunch. I'm telling you, seeing the future, understanding where I'm going, this is something that's, that's difficult. It's not available to our eyes. And Scripture says, nonetheless, the wise understand where they are going. So obviously, if you're going to get a view, if you're going to have a picture of, of what's down the path for you, you're going to have to get that from someplace else. 
You're going to have to get that vision of where you're going from someplace else. And I would offer to you the only place to get that is from the only one who sees the future, and that is the Lord. That means wisdom, this kind of wisdom comes only from the Lord. And the wise understand where they are going. I want us together this morning to consider as individuals, as a church, as families, where are we going? This is where wisdom dwells in understanding the direction, the path of your life. Where are you going? And once you understand where you're going or where you should be going, what ought you to do about it? What should you do about it? Turn now to Galatians chapter 1 verse 11, New Testament verse This is a short piece from one of the letters of Paul where he's sort of telling his own story. He's talking about how he came to know Christ. He's also talking about his ministry and trying to explain what God has put in his heart to people who just probably don't get it. And obviously, most of the people in the world in Paul's day did not understand what Paul was trying to do. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. Listen to the words of a man on fire. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the tradition of my ancestors. Verse 15, this is good. Underline this verse in your Bibles. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. That's huge. Proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I'm writing to you is is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, and still the Christians in the churches in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. It's a man named Rafael Antonio Lozano, but he refers to be called simply Winter. His name is Winter. And he has a vision for his life. He has a dream, and you can follow it now on his website. It's called everywherestarbucks.com. His goal in life is to visit every Starbucks in the world. Do you know how many Starbucks are in the world? I don't, but they're building more every day. And his goal is to visit every one of them, to walk into every Starbucks restaurant in the world and drink a cup of coffee, take his own picture, 
and walk out. This is his life. He is spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I don't know where the money comes from, hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this. And this is what he does with his life. He simply goes from Starbucks to Starbucks to Starbucks. I don't even drink coffee. I don't get the first part of this. Maybe some of you do. He wants to be in every Starbucks, and he's doing it. So far, he's been in, 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 in over 8,000 Starbucks in North America, Canada, and, and, and nearly 2,000 international Starbucks now. Last I heard, he was in Germany at Starbucks there. The most he's done in a single day is 29 Starbucks, which means in one day, this guy drank 29 cups of coffee. And at the end of that day, after 29 cups of coffee, do you want to know what he said? Just guess. What did he say? He said, I feel awful. 29 cups of coffee in one day, I feel awful. Really interesting because this is his life. He says it when he walks into a brand new Starbucks, whether it's in Germany or France or anywhere in the world. When he walks in a new store, he says he immediately has this feeling that he's really accomplished something. And then this, this is what he says. He literally says this. He says, I walk in the door and I feel like I've accomplished something, which is kind of funny because in reality, I'm accomplishing nothing. What is wrong with this guy? What is wrong with this guy. you got to look at his website sometime because one of the things that emerges from it is this is a guy with no friends. This is a guy who's traveling from Starbucks to Starbucks and he has to hold out his camera phone and take his own picture. Have you done that? It's pathetic. Takes his own picture and understands that in his whole life he's accomplishing nothing. He's spending all of this money and all of this energy, and this is the whole life that he has, and he understands that at the end of the day, he feels awful, and he's accomplishing nothing. Nothing. I can't imagine a more devastating feeling that in your life, you're accomplishing nothing. I can't imagine a more devastating life than to get to the end of a day and realize that you just feel awful. And you've worked very, very hard to get to the point where you could feel so bad. And this is his life. And very, very honestly, it's the life of a lot of people you know, and they're putting a whole lot less into it. But honestly, most of the people you know have that same gnawing sense that in the end of the day, they feel awful. And for all that they're putting into work and family and school and all of the energy they put into spinning their wheels, there is this nagging sense that that they're accomplishing nothing. Please understand me. God did not create you for a life of nothing. He did not create you for a life where you spend your days and at the end all you feel is awful. God did not create you for that. He created you with a purpose. God dreamed a dream for your life before you were even born. And it was a dream to absolutely set your heart on fire for something important and something beautiful and a dream and a goal and a purpose so large, so big that you could spend your whole life moving toward it and never fully reach it and yet feel such satisfaction and such joy and such incredible, incredible, purpose and fulfillment you were created with a purpose created with a purpose problem is lots of us never ever find that purpose 
we never find it. Part of the problem is the way we approach that. In talking to teenagers, and some of you right now are in that stage of life, some of you are juniors, seniors, you're getting really, really close to making some big decisions. And the way we frame those questions for young people are typically something like this. What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do when school is over? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? And we frame the whole question as if your purpose, your goal in life is something that you just get to decide. Now, that's the way most people have ever framed that question. And it's the way you've probably approached your own life. You just simply ask yourself, what do I want to do? What do I want to to be? And you approach it in the sense of what you want, as if you can decide that. I want to tell you something very important, very, very important. Your goal in life, your purpose in life, is not so much something that you get to decide for yourself. You don't want to decide it for yourself. First grade, my teacher was Marjorie Bonds. Miss Bonds was wonderful, and we were just learning to draw with crayons and write with pencils. She, she asked us to draw a picture of what we wanted to be when we grew up. What do you want to be when you grow up? I was six years old. So I got up my crayons and pencils because I knew exactly what I wanted to be. And so I drew a picture of it. I drew a picture of me. I drew a picture of me doing my dream, doing exactly what I felt like I wanted to do when I grew up. I was so proud. I mean, this is an awesome picture. Took it up to Miss Bonds at the end, held it up to her by her desk there. This is, I'm finished, Miss Bonds. She said, what is this? I said, it's me riding a horse. I'm going to be one of those guys that rides horses in races. You know what Miss Bonds said to me at six years old? You know what she said so tenderly, so gently? She said, that'll never happen. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? What do you mean? She said, Tim... Horse jockeys are little. You're already bigger than most of them. And she was talking about my width, not my height, my width. That'll never happen, she said. Honestly, it was never going to happen. If I sit there and dream a dream for my life, I'm going to dream something ignorant every time, and so will you. Then I started growing up. I started watching the Brady Bunch. And and gosh, the father of Brady Bunch, what was his name? Mike Brady? Yeah. What was he? Architect. Yeah, and he made it look so cool, man. His permed hair, his big collar, his bell-bottom britches, and he worked at that desk in his office at home drawing buildings. I thought, man, I'll be an architect. That's what I want to be, an architect. Man, I have still got the picture I drew when I was a kid of my office when I was going to be a a big architect one day. That that did not last. That, That did not last. I wanted to be an artist. Finally, I really, really, really wanted to be an artist, a painter. I was an art major in college. I have a bachelor's in in fine arts. I really wanted to be a painter. And when I got out of high school, I really wanted to go to art school. That was my dream. That was my goal. And honestly, I really, really wanted that. I would have told you at the time I wanted that more than anything in the world. You guys know I, I was never good at much. I was never good at sports. I, I wasn't good at anything much, but, but man, flat, I, I could draw. I could draw, and I decided that's what I would do. But there was just this nagging voice in my heart. There was just this sense that I could do that, and I could do that. I, I could go to the art school. I, I would probably have been very, very successful because I would have worked hard, and I have the talent. I, I could have probably done something, but... But there was this nagging sense that that was not the dream for my life. I had this idea that that's really, really not what God had for me. 
What I'm saying is that the, the goal of my life was not so much something for me to decide. And it's not so much for you to decide either. Our dream for our own life is always going to be too small. And it's probably always going to be a little bit selfish. That's why you're dreaming right now that you want to be a swimsuit model. In the words of my favorite theologian, Marjorie Bonds, that ain't going to happen. Probably not going to happen. Our dreams for ourselves are typically small and selfish because we can't see down the road. We don't have that view, but God has that view. And so my goal, the goal of my life is not so much something for me to decide. It's something for me to discover. I discover God's big goal for my life. And I discover that in him. And I put myself in a place where he can speak to me. And I make it my goal to obey him in every small thing. Because scripture says when you're faithful in the small things, he'll let you be faithful in the big things. And so I made it my goal to be faithful in the smallest of things. I finished that Bachelor of Fine Arts, and then I changed direction. I went to seminary. I began preparation for ministry because I knew the bottom of my heart that what God wanted me to be was pastor. Didn't make any sense. I probably could have just as easily gone and been a horse jockey. Some days I probably wish I'd had horses instead of you people. <laughs> but the goal of your life is not so much something for you to decide. It's something that you discover. And you discover this in your relationship with God. The God who created you and the God who knows what he put in you. Nobody else knows what God has put in you, but God knows and he sees and he created you for this purpose. And maybe you found it and maybe you haven't found it yet. But I'm telling you, if you will listen to him, you will discover for your life a plan that is way beyond your wildest dreams. Paul says in the scripture here, Paul's talking about his own life, and he says, even before I was born, verse 15, even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Even before I was born, God chose him, God called him. And the same is true for you, the same is true for every single one of us. Before you were born, it's God who knits you together. It's God who made you. And it's God who had this dream for your life. Even before you were able to speak your own name, God already had the path laid out for you. Then it pleased him, Paul says, to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Right there, verse 16, you underline that verse, that's Paul's purpose, that's the big goal for his life, and Paul discovers that in God. I'm telling you, that's not what Paul would have seen for himself. As a matter of fact, that goal, to be a preacher to the Gentiles, nobody could see that in Paul's day. Nobody wanted to do that. Paul is the only one with that vision, the only one with that goal, and it is a big goal. Do you know who the Gentiles are? Everybody in the world that's not a Jew, which means most everybody. In the earliest days, the Christians were Jews, and they seemed to have expected that the Christian faith would continue to be a Jewish thing. But God put something different in Paul. Paul, who was completely on fire as a Jew, is totally radically transformed by the gospel. 
And then the fire in his heart becomes a fire burning for the gospel, but the gospel for the Gentiles, the gospel for the world. Paul sets out to fulfill that goal. Would he ever completely completely reach that goal? Of course not, but he's going to try. He's going to do everything he can every day of his life to take a step toward that goal, to take the gospel to the world. That's his goal. It's a big goal. It's an audacious goal. It's amazing. But by the way, if you could get a hold of one of Paul's tax returns and look at his occupation, what would he have written in his tax return? There when it says occupation, would he have said preacher, missionary, would he have said uh, writer of the Bible, anything like that? Paul would have said tent maker. Paul was a tent maker until the day he died. He made tents. Even in his letters, the scriptures say, at places, Paul would say, while I was working, I, I taught you. He never stopped being a, a tent maker. You're thinking, oh, that goal stuff, that vision stuff, that's for preachers. That's for people who are going to be missionaries and stuff. No, no, it's for tent makers and homemakers and doctors and nurses and factory workers and stay-at-home moms and farmers and everybody else. God has put something in you. We talk about it as if it's something you just get to decide. You don't decide it, you discover it. But we also talk about it as if it's something horrible, something awful. And the preachers, we deserve the blame for that. I think part of it is trying to build ourselves up. We'll tell you the story of how God called us to preach, and we ran, and we ran away from that, and, and we ran like Jonah. We ran. We speak as if doing God's will is the worst thing you can imagine happening. As if when God calls, he's always going to call collect, and you best not be at home. You understand? We always make the call of God sound so unhappy. I'm not that guy. I love, love being a minister. I love following God's calling for my life, and you need to follow God's calling for your life. It is not going to make you unhappy. It is going to put your feet on the path of what you were born to do. When you find God's will for your life, it sets your heart on fire. That's why you live. When God begins to move, when God begins to show you his vision for your life, it's always going to trigger the things in your life that really gets you excited, the things that you most love to do. I remember being in an art class, and my professor came up, and she asked me a question. She said, you're an artist, right? I said, yes, I'm trying to be an artist. She said, but you're also wanting to be some kind of minister? I said, yeah, I, I, I also feel like I want to be a minister. She's a non-Christian professor. She said this. She said, well, let me ask you this. Let's say you're in the middle of a painting, and you're really painting. It's going really well, and somebody walks in and needs your help. What are you going to do? Do you understand how she thinks? She's thinking, if somebody interrupts your painting, what would you do? Because she would never stop painting. This woman lives to paint. God help her, it's paint. She lives to paint. And she's thinking that would be a real, a real conundrum if somebody who needs help walks in. I said, I will lay down the paintbrush and help the person. 
You see, that's the difference perhaps between me and her. That's how I know that I'm doing God's will because honestly, I would always rather be serving people. I'd always rather be with people. If I had followed my dream for my life, I'd been holed up in some studio with paint and cut off from the ability to serve God with my life, to help people. I love to help people. God put that in me. I didn't always see that, but when I put my feet on the path that God lays out, that began begins to come out. And that part of me is so joyful and so wonderful. I love serving God. I love following his purpose. He put that in me. Whatever it is that you love, God put that in you. It's not going to take that away from you. Chances are that's exactly what you need to be doing. You love medicine or you love children or you love teaching or you love farming. You love to work with your hands. Paul loved to make tents. And I'm telling you, God puts that in you. Chances are that's exactly, that, that, that's a clue, that's a step along the path. Knowing what you love is very, very important. But I would also add, sometimes you need to know what you hate. You need to know what really bothers you, what gets under your skin, because that also is often a clue of what God is calling you to do. You ever watch Popeye? I know Popeye's been dead for a long time, but if you remember Popeye? Remember Popeye? And every single day he fought the same bad guy. And in my day, the bad guy's name was Brutus. I think for my parents it was Bluto. I don't know what happened to Bluto slash Brutus, but it was Brutus in, in my day. Popeye in every episode was dating the lovely olive oil. And then Brutus would come up and Brutus would start aggravating Popeye and olive oil. He was always picking on Popeye. And Popeye would take it for nearly 30 minutes because that's how long an episode was. He'd take it and take it and take it. And then finally Popeye would say what? I've had all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And then what would he do? Suck down a can of spinach, clobber Brutus. Yeah. What I'm seeing is in your life, you need to have that kind of Popeye moment in a righteous way, in a holy way. What is it in the world that you can't stand no more? I can tell you for me, one of the days when I woke up as a pastor is the day when a little girl got into my car to come to church with teeth missing. And some of you know this story. She had teeth missing and she was six years old. But the teeth missing were not in the front where little girls lose their teeth. They were on the side. And I said, honey, what happened to your teeth? And she told me that her mother's live-in lesbian lover had knocked her teeth out. In our community, in our neighborhood, a six-year-old girl whose teeth get knocked out. And that's one of those moments when I say, about all I can stand, I can't stand no more. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are those moments when you recognize that you can't just live your life for nothing. You can't just go through the motions and never try to figure out what kind of a difference you can make. Because God created you to make some kind of difference. There are things in the world that are supposed to bother you. And the things that bother you, the things that get under your skin, the problems you see are problems that you are probably called to do something about. You say, what can I do? I, 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 I'm poor. I don't have any money. I don't have any talent. I'm just me. I heard a story this week about a 10-year-old boy in church, not our church, 10-year-old boy who really got in his heart something about the homeless, 10-year-old boy who started really getting upset about the fact that there were people who didn't have homes. 
One day, this pastor did a, did a crazy thing. Pastor preached that sermon on the talents where the, you know, the master gave so many, so many talents, a sum of money to one servant and another servant, and then they were supposed to come back and multiply that. The pastor that day handed out $100 bills to church members, $100 bills with the idea that they would take that, multiply it, do something for the kingdom of God. We ain't doing that, but that pastor did. <laughs> this little boy, 10-year-old boy, makes a beeline for the pulpit, a beeline for the pastor, and takes a $100 bill. His parents are, are, are absolutely beside themselves. They can't believe their son did that. They don't know what to do. For one thing, they're worried about their son because they're afraid he's going to fail. What can a 10-year-old boy do? He said, Daddy, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to help the homeless. Mom and dad are trying to figure out how to help their son, how to let him down gently, how to tell him it's never going to work. You know what that little boy did? He took $100, and he took what he could do. And the only thing he felt like he could do was write, because that was his best grade in school. He could write well. So a 10-year-old boy took $100, bought stationary stamps, and wrote letters, handwritten letters to everybody he knew in his family, simply to say, I want to raise money for the homeless. I have found out that it takes $50,000 to buy a house through Habitat for Humanity for a family. I want to buy a house. That 10-year-old boy raised $50,000. 10-year-old boy bought a house for a homeless family. You going to tell me what you can't do? As a matter of fact, once you stop talking about what you can't do, why don't you start thinking about what you can do? It's not so much something that you decide, it's something you discover. And God has a big goal for your life, a, a big goal, with lots of little steps along the way. But you've got to discover that big goal in him. And it's only in him that you'll discover that goal. Only he can tell you what he's put in you. Only he can show you the road forward. He's the only source for you here. You've got to lean into the Lord. And this is exactly what Paul does. Notice verse 10, which I didn't put on the screens, but this is a great verse. You should make this the verse of your life. Paul says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. It's this amazing way that once Paul really gets connected to God, once God really gets a hold of Paul, there's this period of time when Paul sort of pulls back. And it's not what you expect, because that's not what we do. Paul pulls back. He disappears for a while. He gets alone with God. This is a part of Paul's life, a part of Paul's story that we don't talk about much because we don't know anything about it. But after Paul is converted, Paul disappears for a while. He says he went to Arabia. And it looks like a period of something like three years when Paul just goes away. And obviously in that time, Paul goes away and he grows in his faith and he listens to God. And God starts preparing him for what he's going to do. That first period in Arabia, something like three years. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is if you're serious about finding God's goal for your life, you're going to have to get alone with God. You're going to have to do some real listening and some real soul searching. You're going to have to pull away. And in Paul's case, he makes a, a very proud, proud point of saying, I didn't go to any people. I didn't listen to people because honestly, the people just weren't going to get it. 
There weren't going to be any people in Paul's life who were going to say, yes, Paul, the preacher to the Gentiles, that's what you need to be. Nobody's going to see that. Nobody's going to understand that because that's what God had put inside of Paul. Paul had to discover that, and it took time, and it took aloneness. And these are the very things that some of us just aren't willing to give. The time it takes to figure out God's plan for your life and the aloneness that it takes to hear from God. Some of us don't like to be alone. And we don't like to be alone with God because we're so afraid of him and afraid of what he will ask us to do. I'm telling you, you need to know what he wants you to do. Those are the words of your life. When God speaks into your heart, his will, his plan, his goal for your life, that's what sets your heart on fire. And then you can burn for him. Dave Ramsey said a while back, one of his workers, employees came in and said, Dave, I need to talk to you. Dave said, what is it? So I just need to, I just need some help. I, Dave, I'm just burned out. Young man working for Dave Ramsey. I'm burned out. Dave Ramsey said, well, I find that very interesting because in all the months you've worked for me, I've never seen you on fire. Amazing. Some of you right now feel so burned out in your life, but the fact of the matter is you haven't ever been on fire. You haven't even found your purpose. You've never found anything worth living for, nothing worth getting out of bed for in the morning, nothing beyond taking care of your own self. Don't you think there's something bigger for you? But you're only going to find it in aloneness with God, giving time to God, listening, obeying him. And it's between you and God there's a point at which your parents can't dream the dream for your life. There's a point at which nobody else can tell you what God's plan is. You've got to find it. And once you find it, you've got to pursue it. And you've got to pursue it with perseverance because it takes time and it takes hard work. Just because you find God's will doesn't mean it's all going to be easy. Actually, if you want to live an easier life, you should probably continue serving yourself. But if you want a life that's worth living, you need to serve God. And it will be hard hard. It's going to be hard. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take sweat. It may cost you your very life, but to find something worth dying for, wouldn't that make your life worth living? Pastor Steve May was in a Bible study with, with lots of people from other churches, not just his own church, and that's important, because there was a man in the Bible study one night who stood up with tears coming down his eyes, talking about how God had showed him something. And what God had said to him, he said, that God wants me to open a Christian bookstore in our town. God wants me to do this. It was beautiful. Everybody rejoiced and put their arms around him and they prayed for him that God would let this man fulfill this vision that God had called him to open a Christian bookstore. Pastor Steve didn't see this guy for, for several months, and then later he ran into the guy in town. Remember, the guy didn't go to Pastor Steve's church. So he ran into him and said, how are you doing, brother? He said, I'm doing pretty good, doing fine. Pastor Steve said, tell me how the bookstore is coming. How's that Christian bookstore coming? The man said, oh, pfft. I had to drop that. I went to my church, and I couldn't. My church wouldn't get behind it. They, they wouldn't get behind me. I just had to forget that. What's that sound like? What does that sound like? It sounds like in that guy's mind, that vision was worth pursuing as long as somebody else would pay for it. He wanted his church to finance it 
wanted his church to fund it. And the only way he could see doing God's will is if his church got behind him. Let me tell you something. God is probably not going to call you so loud that the rest of us hear it. God's going to call you for your purpose and for the big goal for your life. And yes, sometimes you'll find partners in that, but sometimes you won't. But whether you have partners or you don't, whether somebody else finances you or they don't, if God calls you, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Notice Paul. Notice the timeline. We've already found three years. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Then 14 years later... I went back to Jerusalem again. Do you understand that for Paul, it takes something like 17 years before the Jerusalem church gets behind him? Something like 17 years. Did he abandon his vision? Of course not. Did he back up on what God had called him to do? Not for a moment. God called him to do it. And Paul says it doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter if they approve of me or not. If I were trying to win the approval of people, I wouldn't be serving Christ. It is Christ you are created to serve. And Christ you are created to please. So what does Christ want for you? I I promise you, there's a big goal, and you need to find it. And it won't necessarily drop on you uh, out of the sky today during this sermon. I don't expect that it will. It might. It could. I don't expect that. It's more likely something you're going to discover in a daily walk with the Lord where constantly you put yourself back in his hands and every single day you commit yourself to do whatever is necessary to please Christ, to obey him. That's where these commitment cards come in. Will you take it out and look at it with me? Everybody, especially young people, you take a look at these with me? I want all of my middle schoolers, fifth, sixth graders, I want you looking at these. You're not too young for this. God has a plan for your life. What I want you to understand is a very basic principle that your Christian life is forward moving. And God has a plan and a purpose and a path for your life. And you need to be going somewhere. You need to be growing. And if you're not growing, you're not living the Christian life. If there's not a forward movement, you're not following Christ because he's always on the move. And if you don't have a big goal for your life, something that you know is important, something worth doing, something worth investing yourself in, sacrificing, then you need to listen to God. God has that big goal for your life. I don't know what it is. God knows. But along the way, you need to do every little thing he asks you to do. There may be a big goal, but chances are he can't reveal that to you. You won't discover it until you put yourself in the place of doing all the little things you know you're supposed to be doing every day. If you won't obey him in the smallest of things, then you can't possibly begin to step out and begin to obey him in larger things. Most of the goals on this commitment card this morning are very, very small things, to be honest. These, the list on this page, these goals before you are appropriate because every single one of us should be doing every single one of these things. There's nothing on here that just belongs to preachers or just belongs to very, very talented people. Every one of those things, these things are are simply parts of the ordinary Christian life. But I want to ask you this morning, whoever you are, whatever your position to Christ, your relationship, I want to ask you to take the next step. 
Whatever that next step is, for some of you, you need to take the first step and simply uh, surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the first step. Some of you need to take that first step. That's what we mean by becoming a Christian. That's the first step. But after that first step, it's a lifetime of taking steps toward Christ, taking steps toward the big goal for your life that Christ gives for you. So take a look at these goals. You can't do it all in this service. I want you to spend some time alone with God. I want you to spend some time this afternoon or tomorrow or all the days of this week. I want you to look at this list. I want you to add things to the list. I want you to ask God what he's calling you to do. I want you to take it seriously. What's the next step for you? Maybe it has to do with honoring Christ in relationships. Maybe you've got some relationships that are out of whack. You've got friends, best friends, that shouldn't have the kind of influence they have in your life. Maybe you need to make some relational changes, set some goals and write them in there. Maybe you need to make some changes pertaining to your consistency in worship. Take a look at these Bible verses. See what God's word says about each of these important disciplines. Maybe you need to spend time daily reading the word of God or, or in prayer or sharing your faith. I've already shared with my family that I feel very importantly that God is calling me in the coming year to participate in some way as a family in missions. I'm checking the bottom goal and, and asking for God's will there. It's just one of the things I feel like is my next step. It, it pertains to my whole family and not just me. I don't know what God is asking you to do. I can't possibly tell you. But I do know this. He has a plan for your life, a goal for your life. That's beautiful. And, and I promise you, when you find it, it will be the very thing that sets your heart on fire. It's the devil who tells you that God wants to take away all your happiness. It's the devil who takes, tells you that if you follow the path God has for you, you'll have no friends and you'll be miserable. I'm telling you, the path God has for you is the path of happiness and peace and fulfillment and joy. It's what you were born to do. My kind of guy is Rick Warren. I know some of you don't like him. You don't have to like him. He doesn't serve people. He serves Christ. Rick Warren has a goal for his life, and of all the things that Rick Warren has accomplished, he's managed to fulfill one thing, and that is to be pastor of one church for his life, and he's been there 20 years, and I admire that. I feel like that's my calling as well. In the process of doing that one thing, though, that one thing that God has for him, look at what else he's accomplished. He's written one of the best-selling books of all time, The Purpose Driven Life. It's, it's an amazing book. I, want, I encourage you to read it. Rick Warren now has enough money. It's not just that he could retire to some island in the Bahamas. He could buy the Bahamas if he wanted to. It's amazing how God has blessed him. But he's not coasting now. He's not stopping. Rick Warren now and his church, that one church that he's committed to pastor, that he started with just a handful of people, that one church now, that they're really trying to change the world. Have you caught on to that? Because Rick Warren had one of those Popeye moments when he looked at the world and he couldn't stand anymore the poverty and, and the sickness, AIDS. Couldn't stand the illiteracy and, and, and the incredible egocentric leadership in African nations. And Rick Warren has decided that God wants him to do something about that. So now Rick Warren and his church, that one church he's committed to serve with his whole life, they're trying to change the world. He was on Fox Channel not too long ago in, in a lengthy interview. You could tell that the interviewer was a little bit skeptical of a man who felt like Christ wanted him to do something important for the whole world. The interviewer was pushing him a little bit more and more, a little bit skeptical, a little cynical. I, I love the 
end of the interview. Because the question was something to the matter of, uh, do you really think that, that one guy can do anything about poverty in Africa and AIDS? And you really think one guy can do anything like that? Rick Warren said this. He said, on my tombstone, just put four words. At least he tried. At least he tried. I don't know what God's goal for your life is. I don't know if you're going to do something important for the world. I don't know if we can plant 20 churches in 20 years. I don't have any idea. We can try. We can take the next step of obedience, and after that, the next step, and the next step. And something tells me if we just continue to take that next step every time Christ lays it out in front of us, at the end of our lives, we will have traveled a long, long way toward what God wants us to do. My friend, what's your next step? Discover that next step in the privacy and aloneness of your own heart. Find out what God wants you to do next. It'll be a small step, I promise, a small thing. But whatever that step is, take that step. Do it. I don't know how much you'll accomplish, but in the power and spirit of the Lord, won't you try? Won't you just try? Pray with me. Oh, God, forgive us. We gather in this church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday going nowhere. Some of us say we feel burned out, but truthfully, Lord, we've never, ever been set on fire. Oh, Jesus, set our hearts on fire. Let our souls be rekindled with fire from above, Lord. I pray for the young people in this church, Lord. Oh, God, I pray that you would set their hearts on fire. Lord, help them to uh, do away with the lie, the myth, Lord, that they should somehow wait until later to get serious about following the Lord. Oh, Lord, raise up preachers and teachers and missionaries and world changers from among our children and let them start changing the world today, not tomorrow, today. Oh, God, I pray for grown-ups in this church who are so miserable in their lives, so trapped in their jobs. Lord, they know that sometime years ago they stepped off the path. They didn't follow your plan. And, Lord, now they feel stuck in a plan in which there's no blessing. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd speak to hearts today. Help us, Lord, to see just that next step, that next step that would take us back to the pathway of blessing and peace and accomplishment, fulfillment. Oh, Lord, you know the plans you have for our lives. You know the big goal that you set over each and every one of us. Help us, Lord, today to begin discovering that goal. Help us to be obedient, yielded, and still before your presence so that you can speak to us, so that we know, Lord, the next step. Help us to hear your voice, Lord, and take the next step. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.